Hey, listeners, I have some great news. We got our first sponsor, Bach Trumpets. It's very fitting that they're our first because I've been playing their instruments since I'm 12 years old. Now, I'm thrilled to tell you about the reclamation of the Bach Trumpet brand. Just about a month ago, I had the privilege of playing a few of these new horns, and I have to say, even after a few notes, I knew it was the trumpet for me. Bach has invested in R&D, engineers, product development teams, and artist relations to reclaim the elements of Bach's best horns while improving the design and performance of these instruments. I can confidently say that these are some of the best trumpets I've ever played. The new line of Bach Pro Trumpets will be launching later this year, and I can't wait for you to experience the exceptional sound and craftsmanship for yourself. Visit BachBrass.com for your chance to be the first to learn about these new horns. Or you could come to the Metropolitan Opera in New York City and hear me play mine. Either way, you're going to love what's going on at Bach as much as I do. Tina Ting Helseth is the first ever classical artist to win Newcomer of the Year at the Norwegian Grammy Awards. Her successful career as an internationally renowned trumpet soloist was her childhood dream, but at the height of her success, she took a step back to find balance between her music and her life. I had to take a break because I was just so tired working for 10 years with no holiday. But then when I came back, I realized there is a lot more to life than playing the trumpet. So I started talking about playing as my job. Yes, it's a passion. It's very much part of my identity, but it's my job. You're listening to Speaking Soundly, a backstage pass to today's biggest stars of the music world. I'm your host, David Krauss, principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera. During each episode, you'll hear me speak with inspiring performers about their creative process and the personal journey that led them to the stage. I remember teaching one of my students and we were talking about her musical influences and the first thing she blurted out was your name. How does it feel to be a role model to so many young musicians? Sometimes it's a bit surreal, actually, or most of the time it's a bit surreal because basically I'm just me kind of now sitting at home in Oslo in my husband's gaming chair, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's like <laughs> I'm just this normal person, but at the same time, I I do know, and I've heard many times from various you know people and, and young people that they um, get inspired, which is uh, incredible. It's a huge thing. She was going on and on about your technique, your musicianship, and your stage presence and everything. But just as a female trumpet soloist in a field where there are not many, you're a real inspiration to her and so many young women. It's inspiring for me too. I am a woman. <laughs> So it's it is who I am, uh, and and I like I like to to wear nice dresses. I like to take on my makeup when I perform. You know, not when I'm sitting here. Then there is nothing. But when I go on stage, it's it's a whole um, thing. You know, around actually being ready to play, ready to to just be me on stage. Um, it's a whole package. And I do think that I get especially excited when when young girls come up and say that, you know, I play the trumpet because of you, which is, again, surreal. You always appear so comfortable on the stage. And I want to know if that was 
innate to you or was that a, a process? Did you work on just your comfort level of performing? I think it's it's a journey and it changes all the time. I remember reading this thing and I was I was I felt so good when I when I read it. I, this Renee Fleming had an interview or something. And she said that after her first child, or I don't know how many kids she has, but after she gave birth and then when she came back, suddenly she was very nervous and she hadn't been before. It kind of changed when things happened in life, you know, and then perspectives change. So I think sometimes now, now I can be more nervous uh, for certain things and certain performances than I was before. Or at least before cancer. Maybe after cancer, I'm more like, who gives a, you know, a little bit. It changes all the time. And it very much depends on what I'm playing. Yeah, like what? Uh, well, there are some pieces that are just uh, a bit more terrifying than others. I've seen you play some terrifying pieces. There's a video of you playing live at the Nobel Peace Prize concert. Millions of people are watching. And as a trumpet player, I know that it couldn't have been easy because the piece starts very soft and it builds and builds and builds. And at the end of it, you have to play a big, loud high C and, and finish with perfection. How do you not get nervous for performances like this? I was very nervous then. And I was very nervous, especially for what you're saying, because it starts very quiet and then it ends high and loud and you're supp it's supposed to be effortless and if you're a bit nervous or you feel cold because you didn't get to play just before you went on stage or whatever then it's there's a, this is it's like a nightmare if that doesn't come you know so I can be very nervous a lot of the time I can also then leave the nerves uh, backstage so I can be like very focused you know I, I have to think that I'm amazing and the best and blah, blah, blah at what I do at that exact moment. The audience needs to be just be able to enjoy my performance and not think, ooh, how is this going to go? You know, like when I when I come on stage, it's part of the package. It's part of me. It also, I know that it looks very effortless. Of course, I've seen that too when I see videos and stuff of myself. It doesn't feel like it looks, but... Yeah, it is It is nice that people should just think about the music and not the athletic kind of part of it. Yeah. You performed at the opening of a memorial concert to commemorate the Norway attacks of 2011. Now, before I even consider the somber and emotional tone of the event, can you just set the stage for what I watched? I mean, you were playing from a <laughs> rooftop, right? Yeah. The roof of the city hall. And it's quite high. I am afraid of heights, which is a thing. But they were like, no, no, it's going to be fine. You're not on the on the edge edge. It will look like you're on the edge, but, you know, there will still be. Okay. Also, the weather was horrible. Like, suddenly it was like, it was raining. It was really, really bad. Like, the wind was crazy suddenly. And I wasn't secured because the wind was not supposed to be like this. But one of the, like cameramen were holding onto me to my legs in case uh, the wind was very bad and it was for a very short amount of time so all good but yeah it was, so it was it was um it was a very different experience in many ways you have some cameraman holding onto <laughs> your leg in case you blow yeah. off a roof and you're deathly afraid of heights 
Yeah, my poor manager, she was like, she was just standing behind thinking, oh my God, is this happening? No, it's a lot of things going on, but then it's all about focus and being in the moment and not worry too much until afterwards. Well, despite all the difficulty, your sound and your musicianship was bringing comfort and solace to, in this case, a nation who was mourning. Many people in the audience lost people very close to them. And in those moments where you're connecting very deeply to so many people, what does it feel like for you? Um, I have to somehow distance myself a little bit from the situation. Like, this is not about me. Uh, I was in Liverpool, actually, uh, recording and playing a concert uh, the day that it happened in Oslo, which was bizarre because it was just absolutely insane that this could happen in Oslo. It's something like this that never happened. And we were not that many people in Norway. So so it felt it felt very, very difficult and special for everyone. And then so this event, I was thinking, you close your eyes. This is This is not about you. This is about this moment. You cannot... Like, you know, crying and playing the trumpet at the same time is not a good combination. So this is just, you can, this, you can do this after. Now it's this playing for these people. You have to keep a distance at the same time, be personal, but not, not private that, that you can do afterwards. Right. Is your schedule of touring exhausting? I know at one point in 2015, I read that you were playing more than 125 concerts in a year. And a concert also has rehearsals in it. A rehearsal has all the practice that goes in before it. And then you also have to travel to all these different places. Did you even have time to build a life or was your life touring and performing? Uh, yeah, my life was very much touring and performing. Um and uh, that felt good for a long time because you know it's it's exciting it's it's uh, it's your dream happening and the train has left the station and you're just on it um which is very exciting because you you see that your career is going upwards and and that is a good feeling of course um yeah but then in 2015 i had to take a break because i i um met the wall we say in Norwegian I don't know what you say but it's yeah like, yeah um, we hit the wall you hit the wall I hit the wall and I had to stop performing for almost half a year I think I needed that it was a very very dark place um depression and you know everything it was it was it was very bad because I was just so tired working for 10 years with no holiday it wasn't the people around me's fault. It was just, it was just together and who I am. So it was just what happened. Uh, but I think I probably needed it to go that far, even though it was not a very pleasant experience. But then when I came back, perspectives changed. Uh, and I realized there is a lot of more, there's a lot more to life than playing the trumpet. And uh, there is many things I would like to do or experience um, that has nothing to do with music. I think it's, it's, it's easy for musicians also, or maybe not just musicians, but someone that has had this kind of dream or like this idea of, of what I want, to, what you want to become from a very young age. Um, 
then it's it's easy to just think that oh but this is why i'm here so then it's it's a bit of a so then it doesn't matter if if you know if i get a family or whatever because this is what i'm supposed to do and you get a bit you get a bit of a i only live for my art kind of but uh but uh, no no i want much more out of life than playing so i started talking about playing as my job like uh yes it's a passion it's very much part of my identity but it's my job and uh i worked less of course and then i met my now husband uh and and uh, i probably wasn't you know i didn't have the time before that uh but then i realized oh this is this is uh this is nice i wanted to not just travel all the time then life happened again and and i got cancer last year and then of course you get a new change everything just bam um in a, in a, in a second everything is different you were very transparent about it you announced it on social media i i thought it was nice to just say what it is that felt natural to me um and there were so many people that are affected by cancer in some way so it shouldn't be something that you don't talk about either and i was lucky uh, i had a type where they told me that it's going to be fine it's going to be really rough because the treatment is incredibly tough you're going to get really ill and sick and you know lose your hair everything but it's going to be fine <laughs> so i of course had the had that um idea the whole time that don't think about the what if kind of of course you do but uh but um because it, it is it is a a meeting when suddenly you 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 feel how fragile life is um in a very like in your face way suddenly so yeah but then that's a new normal suddenly and during that time was music still a part of your life um yes and no so basically when my doctor called and said that there was something strange with my blood work i was supposed to go in and practice and then it ended up with us half an hour later going to the er so i didn't play from that moment on uh and for seven months um i didn't touch my instrument i could have but i didn't see any reason because now this is a like a different timeline you know now now life is just it's happening there but i'm doing this now kind of and then i will come back to this so music was more of like um um i listened to music when i felt uh, very bad like when i had the different chemos when you feel very bad <laughs> uh and you know laying um in the dark uh with very very soft music on so then i used it um in a i don't know just just as a presence i guess somehow you know like just just being there being like uh, thinking about something else or just being there so yeah i i used maybe i used music in more of a non professional way you know very mm. just like ordinary did being away from the instrument for 7 months having your body diminish and then come back to health 
Did you ever fear that that would affect your trumpet playing when you returned? When I was ill, um, then I was very much like, I don't care if I ever get to play the trumpet again. I don't care as long as I get healthy. Because, you know, some of the treatments are rough and, and they they affect nerves. And, and yeah, a lot of things can happen um, with those kind of treatments because, you know, it kills what it should kill, but it also kills other stuff that it shouldn't. Uh, that's just the, the part of it, you know. So I was just thinking, I don't care. I mean, I can do something else. But then it was also the whole emotional thing about it. I felt like I I made the choice again to play or to be... Uh, one thing is to play, but to be me, like my job. Um, because it is incredible, but it's also incredibly stressful to have to perform on that level. But it's great too. And it's it's what I know, but it is hard work. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. So you just have to make sure that it's worth it, that it gives you what it should. Otherwise, you can do something else. Um, because we only live once. Uh, and that's something that you, that I really have a, I could say that before and people say it. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah. But then suddenly you're there and it's like, uh, yeah, it's 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 true. It, it becomes a very like thing that has just changed uh, because you meet so many other people and you're in this setting where, where it doesn't go well for everyone um, and people struggles with all sorts of things and after treatment and during and yeah, you just, you just, you, you experience life differently afterwards. Um, I realized, you know, the, yeah. I'm going to do this. And and then playing wise, I'm uh, a bit lucky. I don't it doesn't take me so much time if I have time off to come back. After a week, it felt normal and uh, not normal, but I mean I couldn't practice long um at all because of, you know, muscles everything is gone, so you you have to like build yourself up. After this whole process, do you remember your first performance back? Absolutely. It was um, in May, <clears> the <throat> 10th of May, uh, in Copenhagen, actually in the same place that I did my last concert on the 1st of October before I got the... That was by chance, kind of, but it was it was very symbolic. So after you got your diagnosis, the, the concert that you played right before the diagnosis and your first yeah. concert back were in the same venue? Same place in Copenhagen. And we, yeah, we did Morgen. By Strauss, which is one of the most, my God, amazing pieces ever written. Uh, we did that as our last piece. And that was the hardest piece to do because it was such a different thing to then suddenly be, be on stage, just knowing where you've been and what you've, like, what's been your reality for the last months. is just such a difference. <laughs> uh, so then it's, of course, emotional. Sure. It was very emotional, the first concert. Well, I'm certainly grateful that you're in good health now and all of that is behind you. Um, so remember that student that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation? When I told her I'd be speaking with you, she had a billion questions and I told her maybe I'd ask you one. And uh, the question that I'll ask is, why do you perform barefoot and will it help her trumpet playing if she does it too? <laughs> yeah, well... It's actually very comfortable 
to perform barefoot. It's many years ago since I started with it, but it was also just kind of, I did the summer tour. And then in some of the concerts, I played barefoot because, I don't know, there was something with the outdoors and with my shoes or so I just played barefoot. And then I did the same with the Oslo Philharmonic that year. I did two pieces. I remember after the first piece, I was like, I just, I don't, it went well, but I felt like, like this. So I was like, I don't want those heels anymore. So I just took them off and went on stage barefoot. And uh, it felt really good. So I've done it ever since. You feel very like fit for fight, you know, like a little bit. You feel grounded. I don't know. It feels very good. Yeah. I'll recommend she try it and I'm going to try it too. One of the inherent problems in being an international trumpet soloist is that the repertoire is limited. So you're always looking to add to the repertoire. One of those pieces I found really interesting is off your brand new CD and it's a cow call. I didn't even know cows needed to be called living in New York City. The only cows I see are in, are in the supermarket. <laughs> is it a pretty common thing in Norway to know these cow calls? No, I mean, I'm also a city girl. Basically, Norway is like a peasant nation, kind of, you know, farmers and and stuff like that. We were under Sweden and Denmark for many years and, and all our traditional food. It's part of the animal that the rich people didn't want to eat, you know, like it's potatoes and meat and cabbage. Everything is very much uh, that type of, of nation. And then, of course, farming has been a big part of it. Um, and cows. So I don't know how they do it now, but at least it's, it's everyone's saying that from earlier on that the girls that, you know, looked after all the different animals that were eating in the fields to get them back to the barn or back to the place, then they would sing something. And this cow call, Edvard Grieg has done this version of it, but it's, it is a traditional cow call that he heard somewhere and then he made this arrangement. Well, it's very beautiful. And after I listened to it, uh, I just Googled, what is a cow call? And I listened to videos of these women wearing these long, flowy dresses in a field calling to cows. It's really beautiful. And you capture that vocal quality. In fact, that's something I really admire about your playing, just the, the sound that you get. Your trumpet sings and it seems to just float. I think it's part of my identity. That's me. Not special for me. It's maybe a wrong way of putting it because a lot of people have a great sound. So it's not that, but like that's that can be a very like my personality shines through. And not only that I can play loud and high and fast and difficult craziness. Yeah, that's that's one part of it, of course, and that I need to be able to do. But at the end of the day, it's it's a nice tune. That's actually the most important thing. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Soundly. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up on future episodes, follow us on Instagram at speakingsndly and visit our website, artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist speaking soundly. 